0: Welcome to Salem, the podcast.
1: We are your hosts and favorite Salem tour guides.
0: My name is Jeffrey Lilly.
1: And I'm Sarah Black.
0: Today, we are going to be returning to the witch trials and specifically talking about Reverend George Burroughs.
1: Burroughs is definitely a unique case, so we're excited to explore this story a bit more.
0: But before we talk about him, obviously we got to get back to it because it's been a while.
1: Yeah, it's been. a Hello, <laughs> Hi. how are you all? <laughs> Thank so you. sorry.
0: We've. Uh, what was it a couple, two, three weeks? I don't want to even say. I don't want. Yeah. It's yeah. been a
1: while. We've yeah. just been doing some stuff, you yeah. know, getting yeah. things together.
0: We got stuff. We got plans. We've been. We we've got been, some news. Um. What scheming? Ooh, we've been scheming.
1: We've been scheming. Yes. Behind <laughs> the scenes. Yeah.
0: There was a full moon and everything.
1: There's a full moon every month.
0: Yeah. But like in the past, there was,
1: we were scheming during the full yes. moon. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: Um, <laughs> Sarah's losing it. Uh, but, uh, we do know it's been a while. So thank you. Uh, and we do have some cool stuff coming up for you in the next probably week or two.
1: Yeah, I think we'll be doing some formal announcements next week, but we'll just give you some hints here today.
0: I mean, I, I'm wearing my new Sail in the Podcast shirt.
1: Okay, that's a great hint right there. There you go. <laughs> so we got we got merch coming, and we also might even have some Patreon stuff coming very, very soon. So cool. keep your ears and eyes open and hopefully we will have some more uh detailed announcements for you next week but there's a very good chance that this stuff will pop up between now and then
0: so So make sure to pay attention and follow us on instagram yeah that that was a shameless plug i was like i turned into some other person there real quick okay (laughs) But no, if you're curious to keep up and you're not just tuning in every week and you want to see what we're up to on a uh, much more regular basis, uh, that's the place to do it.
1: We also post a lot of fun stuff, yeah. extras to the, yeah. the podcast. So,
0: um, but
1: a couple quick things before yeah. we head into the bulk of the episode:
0: Wait, do we have like a torque? Do we have any music for torque corner yet?
1: No, we don't have any music, Jeff. Why? Make music. Make da 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 da. There we go. There we go. That was That's it. That's all we That's need. it. <laughs> no, just add it to my to-do list. Yes.
0: We we should find like a like a Okay, you know what? One day we're just going to come in with music and we're going to surprise all of you and yeah. you're going to be like oh, they're not they're not sounding ridiculous, they actually got Oh, come on. We've, we We uh, don't
1: sound ridiculous. I mentioned
0: getting music like every time we talk about Torquor.
1: But I also don't want it to become too much of a thing.
0: Okay. We'll see. We'll see.
1: You never know. It's touch and go. Okay. Maybe one day we'll have music. Maybe one day we won't.
0: We'll see. You'll never know. see. You never know. Yeah. Did Uh, anything
1: crazy happen on tour with you?
0: Crazy? No. No? Tours are good, though. It's been a good August. little warm. Uh, Very warm. Salem
1: has been experiencing a couple heat waves. Yes. Uh,
0: But it's been mostly a nice little, you know, couple weeks. Uh, Had some cool listeners on tour. Uh, So, Shout out to you guys. Thank you for, for always coming back and joining. I uh, had some uh, people who'd been listeners and had come and then had come back uh, with some family. So that was pretty cool. Uh, one of them, Carlin, uh, she's the one who gave took my tour and then gave you the coins.
1: Yes, I still yes. have those. Yes,
0: so uh, she came back. And I am going to shamelessly say that I didn't recognize her at all. There's just so many... I saw the name and I was like, "Oh!" And then I, oh my god, I know I'm a horrible person. I'm so sorry. I'm normally really good at that. It was just, yeah. But I got a very wonderful uh, uh, tip from her. I got some English pounds, so I can spend those next time I'm over in England. And small bone to pick with her, um, not really. Uh, she was with her family, and and she had prompted uh, one of them to uh, ask about the tunnels.
1: Wait, she prompted them?
0: Well, I I think it had been discussed beforehand.
1: Oh. That or it just is like a lingering lore that they come with when they come to Salem. I
0: I, I think she was doing it to be a a little funny.
1: Actually, now that we're on the subject of the tunnels and how we kind of drop this little hint about merch, let us know if you guys are in favor of some type of tunnel hunters of Salem acronym t-shirt
0: t-h-o-s so- like, <laughs> so they take the o out of there it's just t-h-s oh like like, like
1: tunnel hunters
0: catacomb hunters so cut
1: coughs i don't know i don't know if that works i mean okay. i was thinking more like salem tunnel hunters association star like, star star <laughs> star unite <laughs> so like if you are interested in a maybe we'll even drop a map of the <laughs> yeah. supposed tunnels put it right on you. there if you are interested oh. in a tunnel t-shirt of any type please let us know yay and we may make that part of the initial drop We'll see.
0: What about you? Any fun, interesting, weird, scary, spooky?
1: No no spooky stuff, unfortunately. No ghosts yet. But I did have an interaction that almost felt movie-like. I had had a couple friends come in to visit from Michigan, as I I've said multiple times on the podcast, I'm from Michigan. didn't know.
0: Thank you. Oh, shut up.
1: <laughs> uh, one of them, my best friend, Samantha, who's named for right. Samantha Which. Stevens. Did, did, did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kudos to Laura, her mother, for, for doing that. But she has been to Salem pretty much every year since I have moved out here. That's
0: very nice of her.
1: Very nice. But this time, she brought multiple people with her who had never even seen Salem before. And it's been a while. Like, we're talking pre-pandemic that I have had a... A group of any sort to show Salem like for what it really is and all I wanted
0: to, to bring them in the tunnels
1: no no, <laughs> no all I wanted while they were here was to get recognized at some point okay. which sounds so stupid but like you know we we are living in a bit of a bubble out here like the Salem bubble we exist in this in this city we give tours in the city we work in the city it's a small town we all know each other but now that we have the podcast like there are a lot of people that come to Salem and recognize us and I'll admit that you get recognized more on the street than I do. And I will, yes, he's he's stroking his beard so you, you right need, now. you need to grow a beard, Sarah. Oh, yeah, I'll get right on that. Yeah. And then I'll be recognized. Yes, it's absolutely. Okay. I know, I'm your basic blonde bitch. I know, I get it, it's fine. But I was hoping that during the course of their time here, we would run into some type of listener. There was someone I brought them on the the tour the first night that they were in town. There was someone that walked by and just kind of shouted, love the podcast. I didn't hear it. I was checking people in, but my friends heard it. So it's like, oh, cool. That's great. But then I take them on the Fame, in which you know how much I love the Fame. Yes. And just really quick, the Fame is that replica of the schooner used in the... War of 1812, uh, used for privateering, legal pirating. They shoot off a little cannon. It goes out multiple times a day. Um, yeah, it's so much fun. You've never done it, yeah? yeah no,
0: no, not been on the fame.
1: You have been, Okay. Yeah, We're just going to have to go before the year is over. Okay. Together.
0: What are you doing next week? <sighs>
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. Never mind. <laughs> so I talk up the fame. We get on the sunset cruise. The sunset was definitely worth it. And I was so hoping the, I don't know if he's the owner or if he's like the main captain, but his name's Michael and he's a listener of the podcast. And I was so, so hoping that he would be on. He was not working. It is what it is. It's fine. Yeah, yeah. Hey,
0: we can't work every night. Not everyone can work every night.
1: Of course not. So things are going great. As people are getting settled, all the crew members come around and ask if anyone wants any refreshments, any drinks. And then they start just chatting us up, just like another tour guide would, right? Like, right. You're, you're, yeah. where, where are you from? from? <laughs> exactly. Where are you from? What are you doing here? Like, is this your first time? Yada, yada, yada. And so this crew member posts up next to us and he's chatting with us and he's asking my friend, I'm, Not in the mood. I mean, I've been entertaining for days at this point. Like, I'm just looking to just be quiet and enjoy the ride. Out on
0: the water, just relax. Yeah,
1: they're doing most of the talking. I'm letting them do that. And he's talking about Salem and asking them where they've been, what they've done so far. And he goes, oh, have you done any? Are you guys walking tour people? Have you done any walking tours yet? And you know, I have my sunglasses on. I just kind of smile a little bit, and she's like, "Yeah, actually, like we we took her tour." And I and I mentioned, "Oh yes, yeah, so I I work in town. I'm a tour guide, and actually, your boss came on tour with me a couple weeks ago, Michael. Great! It was so great to meet him." And like maybe thirty seconds goes by or so, and then he goes, "So I've been listening to this podcast." <laughs> And it's what? about Salem and it's so cool. <laughs> and I'm sitting, I'm sitting there what? and my, <laughs> no idea, <laughs> no idea. And I'm looking at my best friend who's like right across from me. It's like, this is all I wanted to happen. And she's like, she, she knows that I'm not going to say anything. And he go, and she says, you know who runs that? Right. Like who co-hosts that? Mm-hmm. That's re- she's right there. That's her. And he just about flipped out. (laughs) He had no idea. And I thankfully had a very crinkled up sticker in my purse, like one left. He's like, are you serious? Like, is this real? He ends up coming back over after a little bit. And he straight up says that he is starstruck, which is something that I never, ever, ever imagined being attributed to either of us at any point which is so incredible. And then he was asking us all these questions about like how our research process goes, what we're working on right now. Oh, and, and when I mentioned, you know, one day we would love to sit down with Michael and and talk about the fame and the process of putting this boat together and taking it out every day and telling the story. He's like, can you, can you like, let them know when you're doing it so I can like be there. (laughs) And he's like, I can probably, you know, if you, do you want to do it on the boat?
0: I was literally. Yeah,
1: no, no, we're going to do it on the boat.
0: Okay. I was like, can we, we can do that?
1: I asked, I was like, are there outlets? I think we have to be, be. I think we have to be docked, but we could bring the stuff probably onto the boat. Yeah, I think we could, we can make it happen. So big, big shout out to Ethan from the fame. Thanks, Ethan. It was such a pleasure meeting you. That's pretty cool. You made my week. Oh. That's kind of crazy.
0: Yeah. You need to get you like a shirt. It's just like I'm Sarah. No.
1: <laughs> no, I loved that. That was so much better.
0: That's pretty cute. That's really cool.
1: Yeah. And you got to think most people don't know what we look like. Right. Know? They
0: have to either like directly follow us, uh see our pictures, see the Instagram and you know the, see the website whatever. Yeah.
1: Like, yeah. So, if you saw us out on the street and you just listen,
0: yeah, you might not you who knows how many unknown listeners walk by every day.
1: I'm sorry to say I usually walk around with my headphones in, so it's hard to get like...
0: I think we've said this before, like sometimes I'll have to like text you to get your attention on the street. Yeah. <laughs> like sorry, Sarah, sorry. Sarah. And I'll be like, hey, hello. You're like,
1: oh, what? I'm here. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but if, if you are a listener and you ever want to say hi to either of us, I think both of us are very much in... Um, agreement that that is totally fine, and we would love to meet you.
0: I had a listener on tour last night, night before, um, a few nights ago. I don't know, time doesn't matter. Who cares? Um, and they sort come around the corner and like, oh hi, and they're like, do you run the podcast? And ah, I do this thing where like I look at them and I'm like smiling. I'm like, and like like um like the meme of uh, Homer Simpson going in the bush, yeah, right. I just like slowly move back around the corner. I'm just like,
1: you just disappear. <laughs>
0: <laughs> just, I don't know, you, you just do stuff, and I was just feeling weird, and uh, that was fun, that was a good tour. Um, oh, speaking of of other good tours, I had, I had another, we had another person on tour.
1: Yes, we did. Yes.
0: So, uh, our friend Sarah.
1: Sarah Blake.
0: Thanks for joining us, I guess, so she's been listening since day zero, uh, as far as I'm aware, uh, as soon as we announced, I guess she caught wind of what we were doing. Uh, she's, uh, from a few States away, but has family local to here property in Salem. Uh, when I talk about Groton, uh, family from out there and, uh, she had the weekend off and, and decided to come up here and, uh, just, uh, she comes up to Salem fairly regularly. So she came up and checked out Salem and jumped on my tour. And then I was like, Oh wow. Like, it's really great to meet you. And then she said she was taking your tour the next night. And I was like, wait, 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 wait. I don't think Sarah's working, but luckily she got that word. And, you know, you changed her to a night that you were working, and so she got to come and take tours with both of us, which was really cool Um, and really super appreciate that and, you know, putting a face to a Instagram handle. I was going to say, uh, <laughs> a.k.a.
1: Hushed Up History. Yes. She has been super helpful, has reached out to us on multiple occasions after our episodes drop and just given us some contextual details, just extra info. She is also a descendant of Rebecca Nurse, John Proctor, and Giles Corey, which I guess we shouldn't be super surprised about. Right, right. But like, my goodness, to be able to trace your lineage back. I ask if anyone is a descendant on my tours. Sometimes you'll get multiples, but I don't think I have ever gotten this before. If you haven't done your family history yet and you have any, any tie to this area, there's a good chance that you can trace your lineage back to someone that was, whether they were accused or an accuser, you can trace your...
0: I, I've had people who are descendants of both. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. Like it's it's it, because the families, they intermingle, intermarry. And if you just keep going further and further up that family tree, there's a good chance that you're going to have them in it. So if you haven't done your family history yet, please definitely do. And one last final shout-out to Rebecca in Nashville. She sent us a picture of her giving a nice big middle finger, um, and it was in reference to my ex-boyfriend, who we talk about in episode... Six. The Witch House. So if you are curious as to what those middle fingers are all about, go check out that episode. We have people... Flipping off my ex from all over the world, and it feels darn good. (laughs) If there's anything that this podcast has brought me, (laughs) it is is that that kind of closure. (laughs) So I've got something fun for you to look at.
0: Something fun for me to look at?
1: I don't know if fun is the best word, as you all have probably noticed Halloween decorations are flooding your local department stores
0: Co- code orange.
1: Yeah. That's what they call it. Um, if, if you are a home goods frequenter or I think even target has their Michaels. stuff out now. I
0: don't know about target. I haven't no? been yet. Normally there's like that weird week between like there's after school stuff or sorry, back to school stuff. Ah. And like they need to get rid of the back to school stuff before the Halloween stuff comes out. I remember a couple years ago they, um, Hung the the Halloween sign, but they hadn't put out any of the merch yet, and we're like, false advertising. Yeah, and we like we're like rushing to the back target, and it's just like pencils and notebooks, and we're like, wow,
1: kind of jumped the gun there. But someone, one of our listeners, did reach out to us and sent us a photo of some merchandise that they came across. And it made them think of us.
0: Was it Haunted Pepper?
1: No, there was, there will be Haunted Pepper (laughs) merchandise eventually. But I don't think it's in your local department stores. All right. The message reads, saw this at big lots. How very tone deaf. Thought you guys would find this interesting slash infuriating. I want you to describe what you see.
0: It's a shirt. Oh, was a towel? Yeah, a towel? not a shirt, it's okay. a it's like a kitchen towel. It like says witches tea- brew. So it's like a little kitchen tea towel. Ugh. And then it says sixteen ninety
1: two. Selling them at big lots. There's
0: so many things that say sixteen ninety two. And it's just annoying. Anytime I ever see that date attached to anything, it's like you couldn't do better. There's not...
1: Any other date that you could, 1666, yeah. 666, if that's where you want to go with it.
0: 1792. My
1: roommate just came home recently with some type of memorabilia from Home Goods, and it had 1792 yeah. on top of it. So, like, I appreciated that, that they made the distinction.
0: And obviously, we can't be sensitive to every date. Out in in existence, right? Right. But this is, it's important. It's particular and it gets attached to Salem Witch Trials. And I understand that oftentimes in Salem we have that crossroad narrative that we've talked about before uh, of pop culture and history. But you could literally put 1690 or 1695 and like, But like
1: they're choosing 1692 because of the witch trials. It's like, how do you, like in, in who made that decision like, I'm sure a lot of people don't come with a good amount of knowledge about the trials. And if they, if Halloween I, I and just, witches in popular culture is their their first, you know, oomph, their, their introduction to this date, their introduction to this concept, this narrative. That's my word. I know, sorry. How can, like, how, I'm not saying how can you blame them, but it's they have like no, they have no history. It's sad to see that this date is being transmitted more through the shelves of stores than it is in history books In history books and museums.
0: And I, frustrating.
1: and to, to add on to that, I've had multiple people recently, because we've talked about this on the podcast, like how much do they talk about the witch trials in school? They don't talk about the Salem witch trials necessarily anymore. Yeah. And the only people that are reading the crucible, I mean, it's, it's not everyone. You, you may have one or two classes that do it. Uh, maybe the advanced English class does it. I think that's how it was in the case of my school. You, It's not a blanket conversation that people are having, which then,
0: but you can find it at target. I was going
1: to say, then they go to their Halloween parties and they see this type of kitschiness is sad.
0: Yeah. Well, that's why we're here, hopefully, enlighten the masses. Uh-huh. Thank you masses. But speaking of 1692, shall we get to the topic at hand?
1: I think we shall.
0: So, Reverend George Burroughs.
1: So, if you haven't already listened to our introduction on the Salem Witch Trials, please go back.
0: That episode would be- 2.
1: And we also do a couple other episodes dedicated to trial victims, which Mm -hmm. might help round out the story a little bit. So if you are interested, we do one on Bridget Bishop as well as Rebecca Nurse. And Rebecca Nurse actually kind of turned into a two-parter. So we've got a story on her life, but then we also go off to Salem Village and talk about the Paris Parsonage, the Rebecca Nurse Homestead, the Salem Village Meeting House, and the Danvers Witch Trials Memorial. So So, if you are into that stuff, go back. Yeah.
0: If you've been listening, you know what's going on. If you're just tuning into this one, uh, you'll be able to keep up. It's not like we're coming out with anything you know totally new or unusual but uh those episodes will give you a good little backstory some history about some of the people we're talking about locations and things along those lines
1: so we'll start with the official complaint
0: so you just want to read read the accusation out of the box yep
1: where it begins because i think it is it is very abrupt There being a complaint this day made before us by Captain Jonathan Walcott and Sergeant Thomas Putnam of Salem Village on behalf of their majesties for themselves and also for several of their neighbors against George Burroughs, Minister in Wells, in the Providence of Maine, Lydia Dastin, in Reading, Widow Susanna Martin in Amesbury, Widow Dorcas Hoare of Beverly, Sarah Merle, of Beverly, and Philip English, Salem merchant, for high suspicion of sundry acts of witchcraft done or committed by them upon the bodies of Mary Walcott, Mercy Lewis, Abigail Williams, Anne Putnam, Elizabeth Hubbard, and Susanna Sheldon, upon some or all of them of Salem village or farms, whereby great hurt and damage been done to the bodies of said persons above name. Therefore crave justice signed by both above to complainers, Jonathan Walcott and Thomas Putnam. That's a lot. So this comes to us on April 30th, 1692. This is the first official complaint that we see that references George Burroughs. So if we put that into our timeline of the Salem witch trials, we're already a couple months uh, in.
0: Two, two months down, and yet still two weeks out from uh, Governor Phipps getting back, so still another month out from trials.
1: So folks have been accused. They're being questioned by an informal court led by Judge Hathorne and Corwin, and they're just kind of stuck in jail, mm-hmm. waiting for the legal process to To complete itself.
0: Waiting for the governor to come back and decide to actually do something about it.
1: So the Putnam's, Putnam and Walcott are the first two to make a official complaint Mm -hmm. and the judges act on it.
0: So unlike everyone else in the trials, I I think I can say absolutely everyone else. uh, He lives in Maine. He doesn't even live in Salem. He's got some Salem history. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But he is up in up in Maine, which even today, if we got in our car right now, it would take us about a three hour drive. I uh, think
1: from here to where he is at at this moment in time, it's a little over an hour.
0: Oh, okay, okay.
1: But still, yeah, yeah. imagine that on a horse.
0: So they write the warrant, they sign the warrant, and they send uh, several men up to Maine to arrest him. The warrant effectively reads as followed. You are required in their majesty's names to apprehend the body of Mr. George Burroughs at present uh, preacher at Wells in the province of Maine and convey him with all speed to Salem before the magistrates there to be examined. He being suspected for a confederacy with the devil in a pressing of sundry about Salem as they relate. I have received particular order... From the governor and council of their majesty's colonies in the Massachusetts. For the same, you may not fail herein. Dated in Portsmouth in the province of Hampshire, April 30th, 1692. And did they talk like that?
1: (laughs) It makes you wonder, right? I also wonder how much of it is, you know, trying to be like extra. Yeah. Not embellish, but... Flowery language,
0: right? Like today, if you were to read uh, the warrant for an arrest, or you know, some sort of, it's going to have language that you're not typically going to speak in your everyday life. That's why we hire
1: lawyers. Yes,
0: they can't. They can't really do that. And they didn't have the option of a defense attorney. That's a whole nother lot of conversation. But anyway, so they nab him up in Maine, and uh, they bring him down by.
1: May 4th 1692 so I have thought so much about this like what it takes to get all the way up to Wells it takes about 16 hours to get there if you're going five miles an hour so roughly probably what you know a a walking horse would go or maybe like a, a cart or a carriage Probably took them about two days both ways, which is evident in the the dates. Right, of, that's why we have right. April thirtieth and right. May fourth. Exactly. So it, it would have taken them a little bit to go to that length to get this guy is pretty like it, it, it's a statement, right?
0: It uh, uh, that <laughs> that's an understatement.
1: <laughs> Very nice. Sorry, but it shows just how significant his accusation was spare the men send him up we need him
0: and especially at that point in the trials like we're pushing uh like what's going sorry not the trials the point in the in this conversation is they've gone to those lengths it's it's the the fervor you can really tell is is really getting to that point
1: and let's be honest, like George Burroughs probably had heard about this at this point. Oh, like, a- Yeah, it's already spreading to those communities, word of mouth. People know that there is something going on down in Salem. For them to come up and say, you are one of the suspected, I'm sure he was stunned. Over the course of the following three and a half months, Burroughs, like so many others, would be examined by the magistrates, likely shuffled around from jail to jail because they can't keep everyone in Salem. He'll stand trial for witchcraft. He will ultimately be found guilty, and he will be executed on August 19th, 1692. The man was just 42 years old.
0: So as with uh, Bridget Bishop and Rebecca Nurse that we've talked about previously, uh, we're doing this with the date that Uh, is close and coincides with that accusation. Um, So we would have hit the 330th anniversary of that just a few days ago on August 19th.
1: I got to say, I was given a tour that day, as I'm sure you were as well. And before I even got a chance to say it, someone pointed it out. Which I was very appreciative of. Mm -hmm. Like, okay, you've been to the memorial, or maybe you've just you know of the story, and you recognize that like this is the anniversary, and these happened on this day. Those I really
0: enjoy being able to talk about it on those days. It's actually I'm not sure if I was giving a tour on July 19th,
1: August 19th.
0: No, 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 no. For for Rebecca Nurse. Um, I, I'd have to go back, but I like distinctly remember that there, when, when that anniversary hits and I am not giving a tour, I'm like, I'm a little bummed. Yeah. You're like, oh, this is, I don't get to tell it's, anyone. It's significant. Yeah. I'm right. Like, there, there is something that important happened today and I can't tell anyone about it.
1: Do you milk it a couple days before? post, because yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. totally do too. Like, yeah, absolutely. If if any of you have been paying attention to the calendar, like, and you can see, yeah. this happened 330 years ago yesterday, yesterday. tomorrow, exactly. Yeah, and it, it it still puts it into perspective. But no, I agree. It creates like a heaviness mm-hmm. that people, you know, they don't get any other day.
0: And I I talk about him specifically on my tour. Yeah. Um. I Same. think he's one of the most important. Names uh, and and stories that we have for a wide variety of reasons. Uh, He's a very fascinating uh, character in the scope of the, the Salem Witch Trials.
1: And for so many reasons. Of course, he's not the only person to be executed on that day. We have Martha Carrier, George Jacobs, John Proctor, John Willard. But of all of the witch trial victims, George Burroughs is the only minister. He's a man of god
0: which, which is very so they and i'll probably say this like a dozen more times in this episode like the dichotomy of the narratives between the things like in in one hand you have reverend paris pushing the narrative you have reverend mather defending the narrative and then you have reverend burroughs who has succumbed to the narrative and it's like how are all of these men supposedly, you know, they're all ministers, right? They're all, they have that position, that that, that that connection with God. And yet one of them, well, we know why he's singled out. But that's, I think that's important is because he's not like the others.
1: I think there's something to be said for competition in what you just <laughs> described as yeah, well. Yeah. He's also male. This is the first male uh, victim that well, we all, have covered. All four of them on all, that day. Well, there are five total. Martha yeah, yeah, carrier. yeah. So sorry, but yeah, yeah. But yes, no, one hundred percent. This this day in particular, yeah, it's it kind of goes outside of what most people think of when they think of witch trials back in the day. It is it and it is primarily a story of women, but in this situation. On those August hangings, there are four men. Mm -hmm. And, of course, one of them we know very well, John Proctor from the Crucible and stuff. But George Burroughs is so unique. Not only is he a minister, not only is he male, but also just his ties to the main frontier.
0: Well, so I was going to say, I I think he might be, I don't know, I'm not going to say only, but only, a person who has connections to, like, every facet of what might be going on here in Salem, right? Like he's connected to the ministry. He's connected to the indigenous people. He's connected uh, to Harvard. He's connected to the worship. He's connected to the church. He's connected to Salem village. He's, and so his presence is known in like so many places. And obviously, obviously he's not setting a specter to do anything. Uh, but his name is His known. His name is known, yeah.
1: And and not just, you know, with these young girls, which we will find out, you know, how that kind of-
0: Trickles into-
1: Into their ears. Yeah. yeah. But also all the powerful people that are sitting at the top of this court, the top of this, this story, a lot of them, Judge Hathorne, Corwin, they all know him. Cotton Mather, who we'll talk about a mm. little bit in this, this episode, <laughs> they all know who George Burroughs is. So this guy, he's not an outsider like so many of our initial targets were. You know, Tichaba, Sarah Osborne, Sarah Good. These are people that are living a bit on the fringes of society. Rebecca Nurse, total outlier in the fact that she was so well revered in the town. But this guy, totally different.
0: But you could also make the argument that he is a total outlier because he's disagreeing. Oh, look at that face. (laughs) Yeah.
1: You're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. Right? So so he is
0: is in the in-group, but he has decided to speak out against the in-group, which therefore makes him a target of said in-group.
1: Yeah. Just as a little preface before we dive into his early life, he did not see eye to eye with the people of Salem Village when he was minister there. So... There's definitely going to be some ruffling of the feathers a decade before any of these accusations start flying.
0: So let's uh, let's cover a little bit of his life leading up to the trials. He's not an old guy. No, I yeah. think
1: that also makes him a little bit of yeah, a yeah. of a different target compared to most others. He's younger than John Proctor. I think most people, you know, well. thank you, Daniel Day Lewis. <laughs> 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 He's not this like handsome. I mean, maybe he was, but. John Proctor was not this, like,
0: right. um, Wait, he wasn't what?
1: <laughs> <laughs> We're just going to cut that out. <laughs> no, you're not. No, but you're right. He's born in 1650 to Nathaniel Burroughs and Rebecca Stiles. There are several sources that say that he was born over in Suffolk, England. Mm-hmm. But we also saw a couple that suggested situate, mm-hmm. which is south of Boston area. And regardless.
0: Although I, I did see one report that he might. <laughs> you're rolling your eyes. Well, no, no, no. It's interesting. It is interesting. Uh, that he might have actually been born down in Virginia. Um, and it's it's these things that we need to look at as we're weeding through these historical documents to be like. Well, I I saw like a 1651, a 1652, a 1650, a Skituate. It was here. It was over in Suffolk. And then this one outlier in Virginia. And so at the end of the day, we don't 100% know. We can weed through some of those uh, historical narratives and be like, okay, this person's information was probably wrong when they wrote it and move forward. But that helps us understand like everything with the trials. It, It can be difficult to get to that real answer.
1: I only roll my eyes because there was only there was only one mention yeah. that I could find yeah. and I'm pretty sure I saw it on like a genealogical site and I hope whoever found it doesn't ever f- stumble upon this episode of this podcast but my best guess would be that someone misconstrued his name with someone else had a similar name and they just misattributed him to someone that was born in Virginia just cuz it was such a it was such an outlier situation but you never know you never know we do know that he spends much of his young years in Roxbury, Massachusetts, which mm-hmm. is kind of like the southwest part of Boston. Um, and his mother, I don't know if his father ever came over, if they did, if, if he was born in England, I don't know if his father ever came over with him. His mother certainly did, but it seems that she went back to England, likely in his teenage years, and both of his parents will die across the pond. So he will attend Harvard and graduate in 1670.
0: With a uh, So this is, again, we've mentioned this a few times, Harvard Divinity School.
1: Nope. Literally have in parentheses, although Harvard College never functions strictly as a divinity school.
0: But he attended, he didn't attend divinity school at Harvard.
1: This is straight from Harvard's website. Okay. I think like they may have a divinity school now, but what they had then, I'll, even though it like functioned as one possibly, I don't think they had one. Like it wasn't called that.
0: Okay. I promise. What, what, what would it have? That's it was where just they...
1: Harvard. It was just Harvard. Okay. Harvard. Like that was enough. They didn't need to. And this is right from their like EDU.
0: No, that's fine. I've never, I've never questioned that narrative. So I will, I will look into that. That makes me curious. He attends Harvard.
1: So you may ask, what does Harvard look like in 1670? I had to do a little bit of digging myself because I was like, what on earth could they be studying at this point? Apparently you had to be well-versed in Latin To even It makes sense. Yeah. You know you say that, but like, damn, Latin.
0: That was fairly common.
1: Just to just to learn in. Yeah. That's crazy. So they would take their courses in Latin. They also study Greek and Hebrew. History, drama, rhetoric, logic, ethics, politics, arithmetic, geometry. Algebra, astronomy, physics, metaphysics, theology, all the things.
0: So he's got a bit of a reputation at Harvard? Not like a bad one.
1: Yeah, no, I think he graduated with honors. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He, he did well.
0: A good athlete.
1: From what we've learned in this, I think he probably was a bit of a charismatic dude.
0: Yeah, it seems though he's definitely got that charm, wit, I Smart. He was smart.
1: I think even you could say he's street smarts as well, based on some of the stuff he does later on um, while he's on the frontier of Maine, Mm -hmm. survival skills, that kind of thing. And maybe it's at this point we talk a little bit about what George Burroughs looked like.
0: Go ahead. Let's see what this young strapping minister from Salem Village looked like.
1: This is coming right from Frances Hill's book. If you are a witch trial geek, you may have heard that name before. She is an English scholar, I believe. She has put out several books about witchcraft, specifically the Salem Witch Trials, including the Salem Witch Trials Reader, as well as A Delusion of Satan. She says, quote, George Burroughs was confident, strong-willed, and decisive. A man of action as well as a preacher. Unusually athletic and clever enough to do well in Harvard. Short of stature, muscular, dark-complexioned. He was highly attractive to women, as is shown by his winning the hand of a rich widow as his second wife when he was a mere village minister.
0: Mm. Um, And just... Uh, bear all of that in mind. Uh, for a little bit down the road, I have a a, a contrary opinion to read about about his appearance.
1: Hey, you never know. If we're just giving you the sources. You can you can interpret them how you will. Yeah. But I think it's funny, right? That's that he's described as this well, I, I think- this strapping, you know, muscular man.
0: So I I think something that's very interesting about him is he does seem to be a very charismatic person, uh, a typically well-liked person, um, and someone who seems to be very agreeable. Uh, He protects his parishioners. uh, And then at the same time, there's several people who say he uh, was sort of real mean uh, behind closed doors. Uh, He might have uh, abused his wives. He definitely controlled them. uh, And that narrative to me uh, seems all too familiar of someone who is an abuser who makes everyone else in the room think they're like that nice guy and then behind closed doors they're really not which then in turn maybe makes that idea of the fact that he might be a witch more probable because for the people who are in power they might know a little bit more about his personal life. And so to them, this minister, who's supposed to be good and do good, etc., but what they know, what he's really like behind closed doors, that's evidence to them of where his allegiance may really lie.
1: And that will be used against him in the trials. We mm-hmm. will see not just that that aggression he had towards his wives, but also his physical strength as well. Um, supernatural strength, even. Oh,
0: absolutely. Superman. I mean, he can fly, but...
1: Out of all the victims, like this guy had, you know, we have to remind you, the witch of 17th century Puritan New England is this being that enters a pact with the devil. And when you enter that pact, you receive supernatural powers. And we see in all the accusations, these wild descriptions of familiars and spectral happenings people being thrown across a room or maybe animals cattle being attacked by some spectral being this guy they actually do hone in on some of his visible physical strength and they they bring that into the trials
0: he's he's not just um
1: he's not just your average harvard boy yeah, yeah, yeah. yes and he's gonna take that and take it all the way to maine
0: and i don't know if this sets him apart like from the beginning but But not
1: (laughs) most people aren't doing that yeah
0: you're not going to maine is for uh fortune seekers right you know you're going up there you're trying to make your money you're in logging you're in furs you're trying to make a name for yourself you're whatever the case may be
1: Um, risk takers yeah it's
0: dangerous it's scary there's conflict and uh he's like yeah let's go to maine okay
1: He also takes a wife um, somewhere around this time. We're Mm -hmm. not 100% sure on the year, but her name is Hannah Fisher, and they have several children. And by the mid-1670s, they are living up in what is today Portland, Maine, but back then was called Falmouth, Maine.
0: So one thing that I don't think we talk about enough in in the scope of the Salem Witch Child's is obviously this is colonized land. Uh, that's going to create conflict with the indigenous people. It's also like frontier territory, right? So, like when you say "oh, the frontier," you're going to think covered wagons.
1: Yeah, what was that game that they all played? I Oregon was a, Trail. I was a l- like I was like a year late on that. Oregon Trail. They were playing it. I just hey, never, yeah, yeah. I never got
0: in on it. You, uh, you die of dysentery. Yes. So you fun. Cra- yeah. So as we think of, like, the wild, wild west, and we, we, we know that inherently there are conflict with the indigenous people as we move out westward, and, you know, you have to move in these caravans because otherwise you're going to be set upon, the forts are attacked, and we know all of this. That narrative is not talked about here in Massachusetts and, and Maine, uh, but it is the same thing, if not incredibly worse. Um,
1: right, like you're saying that we often ascribe this story to people that are moving out west yeah. like they're making that trek to the years later. the quote-unquote manifest destiny right. louisiana purchase that kind of right. stuff but they were dealing with their own set of struggles in
0: new england yeah in of, the 1600s
1: of course because you know these people just show up and are like oh i'm gonna plop right here and this, build a settlement this is
0: my logging mill this this is my 500 acres of land
1: Of course you are going to see resistance to that. It is in 1676 that Falmouth, Maine gets raided by the Wabanaki Confederacy. Now this is going to coincide with King Philip's war. And I really, just to piggyback on to your point, I don't think people talk about this conflict and like the relations with the indigenous people enough when it comes to the Salem witch trials. I think it's,
0: top three reasons. 100%. Why the, the Salem Witch Trials happened. Uh, like, like absolutely. I, I don't think we will ever understand uh, how terrifying life must have been in 1692. And not just because it's frontier and colonized, etc. But, like, there was threat. The The English had come here and taken their land. And many, many of them paid with their lives for that. But uh, King Philip's War spurs uh, the Indigenous people to turn on the English, break treaties, and 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 that war is uh, devastating, uh, inhumane. Um, it showcases the the absolute worst of of what we can be.
1: When people hear King Philip, they're probably thinking, "Oh, some king in England or France <laughs> or whatever," you know but it was actually a indigenous king. He was a chief. He originally went by Medicum. He had taken on that Anglicized name, Philip, uh, because of the friendly relations that his father had created with the some of the earliest settlers, even the Mayflower passengers. He takes over in 1662. It's within a decade or so that they start gathering forces an uprising against the colonists for several reasons that you just mentioned. Uh, The colonists are breaking their peace agreements. The war will go from June 1675 to April 1678. It is said to be one of the deadliest colonial American conflicts. More than half of New England's towns were attacked, and at least 12 of them were completely destroyed within the span of just a year. Rhode Island and Plymouth, those colonies were substantially affected. Economies shattered. Uh, But it will make its way all the way up into Maine, which we know during that time is technically part of Massachusetts. And when it's all said and done, roughly one in every 10 military-aged men, at least south of that area, had lost their lives. So this is huge. This is like I don't know if this is the best comparison, but like World War One or World War Two, obviously the populations are so, so much smaller, but everyone knows someone who was affected in some way.
0: Yeah. In, in in that context, I think you could make that comparison pretty easily.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Of course we see it in the Salem Witch trials play out as such a, a motivating factor. And I wouldn't even say motivating, it's just like a contextual factor. It's just something that's seeping into their perception
0: well I think part <clears throat> I think part of it also stems from uh, the damage that's done social or economically uh-huh. uh, the damage that's done socially uh, so you know if half your family is dead well now you have to put food on the table that is no longer there for the family that is still there um, and that doesn't get fixed overnight and in addition to that there is also again the Puritans extremist, uh, religious beliefs, their idea uh, of the devil, which, of course, they can attribute these attacks to to the devil. So that's why are all these horrible things happening? Well, obviously.
1: Yeah, if we haven't already said it before, the colonists viewed the indigenous peoples as in league with the devil. They are agents of the devil. They are partaking in I mean, they're practicing dark magic. Like, Mm -hmm. they are a total separate entity from their normal, everyday English way of life. And that's scary to them.
0: And Reverend Burroughs has had firsthand experience uh, in this, especially because he's been living up in Maine. So where he is at that point in history uh, that whole location is, is pretty much destroyed. So there's a lot. We're going to talk a little bit more about this when it comes to the accusations. There are like these sort of legends mythos is surrounding, uh, Reverend Burroughs. And one of which is the survival of, uh, this, uh, conflict. He flees out in the Harbor and, and swims to this Island. And it, it's there that, that he sort of, um, with another group of survivors, um, hide and and take shelter uh, until they're rescued, actually. So they don't even make it, I mean, I guess they make it off alive, but they have to wait for rescue uh, right. uh, until they're saved.
1: And I will also add, before we move on, this is, of course, not the only conflict that's going on, and Jeffrey and I got into a very large heated debate about like what constitutes being qualified as part of King Philip's war, because there were raids in this area prior to... And raids will continue after King mm-hmm. Philip's war ends. Um, so just keep in mind that this this instability, this, uh, this fear of the indigenous, this danger that lurks in the wilderness in the minds of these colonists, this is very much continuing. It's not like a one and done couple years. It is always happening. And we'll see it again come up in the late 1680s, King William's War, which is often referred to as "quote the Second Indian War," mm-hmm. or sorry, the Second Conflict, um, basically the North American version of the Nine Years' War between England and France, but that's going to start in 1689. This is literally happening just years before,
0: and it, it the trials end for over a century. I mean, nearly a century.
1: You mean just like the general conflict of France and, yeah. Yeah, yeah.
0: because one thing that we should probably also throw in there is that we're getting up into, yes, uh, the territory of the indigenous people, but that's also where the French are. So this rolls over into the 1700s in the French and Indian Wars. And yeah, this conflict is just... Just keeps going. Yeah.
1: A constant player in this story, a contextual player in this story.
0: So following uh, this conflict and the rescue on the island, he uh, comes down to Salem Village. And this is 1679,
1: 1680
0: or so, 1680, yeah, and he takes a job, <gasps> dun, dun,
1: dun, Salem Village minister, the poor guy. I wonder if he like, actually, I would say if he never took that job, he probably would have never died in 92.
0: Probably not. But you know, there's history, right? I if know. You know. If, if Bridget Bishop had never killed her, no. Oh,
1: <laughs> Hindsight is twenty twenty. Yes, and there's um, all these little things. These little, it's like a Jenga, and you take the little ones out. Like you could take out all these little things, and you hope that it falls over.
0: Yeah, yeah. That's a great. I always say it's it's like this this big puzzle piece, and the piece over here, you don't need to get the picture over here. But you need them to all complete, like, complete the, the full picture. The full picture, yeah.
1: I agree with that, yeah. absolutely, especially in Burroughs' case. Yeah. So he's coming to Salem Village with this history already. You know, yes, he is a Harvard graduate, but he's also spent several years up in Maine.
0: So where Reverend Parris and Betty Parris and Abigail Williams are living in 1692 is the location uh, that Burroughs stays in, um prior to to that. So he is in the same role as Reverend Paris, just 12 years earlier.
1: Right. Which if anything, I feel kind of bad for him that he walked into that because it was a little messy. Yeah. Like Salem village. And we talk a lot about this in our Rebecca nurse episode and the field trip to Danvers episode. Salem village had just recently been granted the autonomy to start their own congregation Mm -hmm. and because of that there are some you know kinks to work out there's disagreements at first when he shows up he can't even live at the parsonage yeah. because there is no parsonage. They don't. They can't agree on who's going to pay for the minister's the land housing, and the
0: house, and the, right. the the salary. And
1: then even if like it, even if he if he lives lives in there, who gets to keep the house after the fact? They even argued about that. Like, does it belong to the Salem Village or does it belong to the minister? And then of course, things about the salary. He has to live with the Putnams at first because they don't have a home for him. And as we mentioned before, he is also not ordained. And that is something that you'll see in the first three ministers of Salem Village. That is a huge point of contention. If you were not ordained as a minister, you could not give communion. You could also not admit people as full members of the church.
0: Okay, I don't think you could take confession
1: yeah, like you can't, remember, to become a full-fledged member of the church, you had to do that whole big public confession.
0: Which Reverend Burroughs is also sort of against. Um,
1: is he one of those people that's more like, do it on the side? Yeah,
0: yeah, so the, the and the, we do not have nearly the hours to get into the halfway covenant Um, But one of the ideas here is that church membership had sort of been faltering, uh, and the idea of full and public confession was not as popular as it once was. So Burroughs is propagating for a more private form of confession, um, which, of course, the higher echelon members of the church, the full members of the church— didn't agree with partly because they were like, well, we had to do the full confession. So you have to do the full confession. Also partly because they're just old grumpy sticks in the muds who want everyone to do the same religious extremist beliefs that they had to do, which is what their parents had to do, which is why they fled King James in the first place.
1: (sighs) I was going to say, this sounds very reminiscent of just human nature. Yeah. I did this, so you must do it too. Yeah.
0: Um, And that's also one of the reasons that he ends up leaving Salem.
1: All these disagreements, yeah. issues with the salary. Also, we did not even mention, he was in debt to the Putnams.
0: <laughs> By the time he left, yeah. Right. Which is just, it's one of these things that I really, there's a lot of, th- everything annoys me, right? Um <laughs> I saw your eyeballs. That, that was <laughs> like, man, what's the back of your head look like? Um So he's in debt to the Putnams. However, he's in debt because they wouldn't pay him so salem village wouldn't pay him he's in need of money because his wife passed away so he then has to borrow money from the putnams who are basically running salem village to pay for his wife's funeral because they wouldn't pay him for the work that he'd been hired to do and you're like what what on earth can you imagine me like oh no sorry we won't pay you and he's like well i need money he's like well you can borrow money from me
1: no that's not how that works
0: just pay the man
1: just pay the man
0: and, and then he wouldn't be in debt. And then, and then of course he comes back to settle his debts, and and um, Putnam has him thrown in chains. And uh, who is? It? I think it's uh, off the top of my head. I don't have it written down. Uh, Ingersoll uh, pays the uh, money to have him released, and he settles those debts. Good on Nathaniel Ingersoll. Yeah, yeah. So, it's, but it's like he shouldn't have even been in debt in the first place if they had just paid him. Right. No wonder he wanted to get out of here.
1: Lots of disputes, lots of, lots of contention. So he's been a minister in Salem Village for three years, uh, from 1680 to 1683, and he leaves, just like the minister previous to him had because of disagreements. And where does he go?
0: He goes up to Falmouth, Maine. Um, like
1: the Falmouth that he left?
0: Yeah. Previously. So, so it's strange to be like, oh, I've seen, This place sucked because it was destroyed and I almost lost everything. I went down to Salem and you're like, but man, that place was also really horrible. So I'm going to go back up to Maine. Uh, This also adds to his like consorting with the indigenous people as well, which is a weird narrative as well. But
1: no, it's interesting because it's, it's something that one of my favorite witch trial historians brings up Emerson Baker. Why are you going back? Why, like, why are, you, why, are, why are you choosing to leave Salem, this kingdom of God, this city upon a hill, to go up to the frontier where you have already been pushed out of? Why are you going back? What, what, what relationship can you possibly have to the people up there? And that stokes fear and questioning amongst the people of Salem. Sadly, Falmouth is attacked once again. And he will move south, not all the way to Salem, but he will stop and settle in the town of Wells, Maine. So this is, this is the one that we referenced at the beginning, where it takes them several days to get up and back to grab him. So but Southern this is, Maine. This
0: is where he is in 1692.
1: The guy was, I, th- I thought this was funny. The guy was granted 150 acres upon arrival, At the cost of the, you know, his future parishioners.
0: So so to answer uh, Emerson Baker's question. Right. (laughs) 150 acres.
1: He had motivation to leave. He didn't like what was going on in Salem. He was better suited for the frontier. It's around this time that he also marries his third wife, Mary, right around 1690. That year they have a daughter. Mm -hmm. They name her. I'll give you one guess. Sarah? No. Mercy. No. Mary. Mary. There we go. <laughs> you got three guesses. Mary names her daughter Mary.
0: Oh, obviously.
1: Obviously. You mentioned his wife who died. Mm-hmm. Now we've talked a little bit about spouses and and having multiple ones in the Bridget Bishop episode. She had three husbands. Burroughs will end up having three wives by the time he dies. And it's not that uncommon. Like, it really isn't. No. I get questions all the time, and I'm sure you get the same thing on tour, about life expectancy. Yeah, when-
0: whenever I mention, uh, particularly Giles Corey, who we'll talk about in a couple of weeks, uh, you know, oh, he's in his 80s. They're like, what? That's so unusual. That's so weird. I'm like, No. No, it's not. No,
1: it's not, surprisingly. Yeah,
0: but, but people don't realize like, oh, the average life expectancy when half your kids die before the age of four and the rest you live to 80. It's not that you're like, oh, well, the average age is like 40. Um, but also I think what people don't take into consideration is many of these people are living uh, active lifestyles, healthy, you know, there's no Netflix, there's no GMO, there's no processed sugars. Uh, they're eating fairly well. Uh, they're living fairly well. Um, if you make it through a cold winter and don't stub your toe, you're pretty much all set. <laughs> well, i on. If you make
1: it through childbirth? I was
0: going to say, I take that back. If you make it through a cold winter and don't stub your toe as a man, you're all set.
1: I was going to say, a lot of the people, if you haven't already figured out yet, in the in the Salem Witch Trials that are being accused, being executed, they are in their 60s, they're in nurse. their 70s, they're in their early 80s.
0: Or 42.
1: Or 42, which he is a slight outlier, although not the youngest.
0: No, no, not by 36 years. Accused.
1: Quick math.
0: Yeah, I know. I'm actually
1: 38, you idiot. Damn it. (laughs) I was so proud of myself. (laughs) I'm leaving that in.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Ah. Man, I'm so bad. I tried. It's okay, I'm, you did so good. I was so confident, You're too, so... I had it. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: He's referring to young Dorothy Good, accused at age four. Now, we don't have a cause of death for his second wife, but given her age, it is speculated to be childbirth. Um, I just want to pause for a second to recognize the horrors that were experienced by women of this time, knowing that if you did discover that you were pregnant, that could mean your life. And unfortunately, those horrors are now being felt again in modern day. And we don't like to get political on the podcast, uh, but we're just talking about basic human rights here. I don't think it's necessarily political. Medical care? Medical care. It is so scary to watch society regress to a, a time where women if you do find out that you're pregnant, that could be that could be it. A
0: death sentence.
1: Absolutely. So, in 1692, he's in his early 40s. He's a minister up in Wells, Maine. He's on his third wife, father to at least half a dozen children. And he hasn't been in Salem for roughly Ten. a decade.
0: Nine years. When, as we talked about before... Uh, the stirrings of what's going down there with Abigail Williams and Betty Paris and the first accusations of a witch uh, in February and we roll through March and we roll into the end of April and his name is now brought up. Probably on, he knows what's going on. We said that a little while ago, Uh, but he he has no idea that he's involved and that his name has been uh, attached to this situation. He doesn't know until they show up at his door over dinner.
1: Family legend says he was arrested while eating dinner with his family. Yeah. Can you imagine being an uh, established minister, and he is now accused of witchcraft from a town that he hasn't been to in, uh, in nine years?
0: That's, I...
1: That's crazy.
0: Ugh. But he uh, he agrees to go with them. Uh, probably one of those you you can just sort of picture that scene in a movie Be like oh i'm sure it's just a mistake uh you know it's okay i'll I'll go down to maine i'll be back or sorry i'll go back Mm -hmm. i'll go down to salem i'll be back in a few days it'd be nothing to worry about hugs his kids
1: it must be a misunderstanding and i'll get it all sorted out
0: and so he comes down to salem and he is held in jail
1: His examination will take place on May 9th. And now remember, we're not yet at the point where we have the new charter. So this is not the court of Oyer and Terminer, the official
0: court. I mean, it's it's not casual, casual, but it's the same sort of casual conversation they had with Bridget Bishop. It's the same casual conversation uh, that they had with Tituba, with Sarah Good, uh, with everyone else.
1: It probably would have been done right in the meeting house, Mm -hmm. which is crazy to think about because that's the meeting house that he was preaching in. 20 years prior
0: with with and th- this is again something that sort of blows my mind the people who would have been witnessing his interrogation are the same people who would have been sitting in those same seats listening to him preach they must have been like that's a that's a that's a lot to swallow
1: so during that examination on May 9th you see you, you got to think these girls they know what they're doing at this point. He comes into the courthouse and they just go nuts. It is almost an instantaneous at the sight of his presence they all start acting erate.
0: These uh, attacks and, and, and to the magistrates, of course, that's they can see the correlation, the evidence that he wasn't they were acting fine until he walked in the room. Um, so these girls are falling to the ground, screaming in pain, shouting all these sorts of very, to be fair, scary physical reactions.
1: Yes, remember, for these folks, this is part of their belief system. This is real to them. The bulk of this examination rests on his relations with the church. The magistrates question how many times he's taken communion, uh, whether or not his Children have been baptized,
0: and he seems to be a little sketchy on some of these facts. He's like, I can't remember the last time I took communion. I think only my eldest son has been baptized, and like from a minister who, like, you would think that you know, quote unquote, your your flock, right? If you're going to keep your parishioners, uh, you know, within those lines of God, your first order of business is going to be your family, and he can't even recall. He's not even like, they didn't. He just doesn't remember. Like, it doesn't matter to him. He's like.
1: See, for me, I'm like, he probably just doesn't remember. But he doesn't. Or maybe he does remember and he doesn't want to admit that some of his kids weren't. Like, it's better to say that you don't remember than to say, no, yeah. I actively okay. did yeah, not yeah. have them baptized. I think he's just trying to, like, play get, wishy-washy, get yeah, yeah. you know? But that's just my, my reading of it. The girls will also claim to have seen his wives, the, the ghosts of his wives, come to them and say that he had murdered them. So it's another big story that we see weaving in and out of these accusations against Burroughs Is he is a full fledged murderer in these people's eyes? He is. It's not just his wives; he's several people. So that'll keep coming up and up in some of the later accusations.
0: So can I just shoehorn in here uh, the name of uh, Mercy Lewis? Yes. So I think, and not to be like super conspiracy theorist here, uh, Mercy Lewis, one of the young women who is making these accusations against him, uh, was up with him in Maine uh, in the same location and suffered the, the, the same attacks and then came down to Salem as well. Um, And she's now been in Salem, in the home of the Putnams, who uh, Burroughs owes money to. And so I think she has personal... I know she has personal experience around Burroughs. Maybe she has seen what he's like and how he treats his wives. And then sitting in the room where, you know, the Putnams are like, oh, Burroughs, and we think he did And they just sort of start to build on this narrative. And then when all the girls get the chance to sort of chat... Join in and, and talk about their stories. She's the one who says, well, yeah, I knew Burroughs up in Maine. I knew what he was doing. I saw what he did to his wives. I saw how he treated these peoples. And, you know, the Putnam said this as well, so it must be true. Is, I feel like where that, all these, the narratives of these women have come, of these young women have come They come from. together. Yeah. And it, it is significantly propagated by Mercy Lewis.
1: So Mercy Lewis, as you said, was up in Falmouth, Maine, around the same time. She will experience that first hit in 1676. She will come down to Salem, goes back to Maine. So maybe him going back up wasn't that weird. I mean, her family did the same thing, but her family will not survive that second attack. And she will actually be put in the borough's household as a servant because she has no family left. So there is some speculation that because he was such a controlling man, such a he had such a harsh personality, maybe that is something that he transmitted onto his servants as well or anyone else who was involved in the household such as Mercy Lewis, there's a good chance that maybe he did beat her at some point. or I mean, I'll be honest, this is this is something that we don't really talk about. I don't think in any any witch trial stuff necessarily. Um, it's it's very very subtle and it's kind of hard to find. But like references to any type of sexual abuse or sexual attacks.
0: I mean, it wasn't really a thing. Well, I mean, it it, it, it happened, but I'm just saying like the the ideas of we we can see uh, when you beat your wife, when you attack a person, but the the, the the idea, of course, that those things
1: would—you're saying like they would—they would be just like pushed under the rug. Yeah, yeah. yeah no, of course that's why. Because like it's we allowed, right? But even Burroughs was said to yeah. overstep those boundaries,
0: so to, so to sort of have that noticed. Yeah.
1: yeah, I'm. I'm just saying personally, like as someone who's looking at his marriages and the subsequent pregnancies that happened pretty much that year. And I get it. Like you get married, you have a baby, it's what you're supposed to do. But like he got older, his wives didn't get too much older. I don't know. There's, there are suggestive notes and I'm not just pulling that out of my ass, but there are Multiple historians that have suggested that maybe there are some, there was something going on behind the scenes that we don't know the full story behind, but definitely could have played a role. So I'm not saying Mercy Lewis was sexually abused, but this idea of abuse in the household in general, yes, it may have been more acceptable back then. We may not have records of it, but it doesn't in any way negate like what that produces, right? Like that that response that she would have walked away with and something else in that same vein a lot of folks when they're talking about the the conflict with the indigenous people and those wars that happen around the salem witch trials this idea of ptsd 10 of the afflicted girls are refugees from those attacks so i I know you are a military <laughs> man yourself, so I know you can speak more to PTSD than I can.
0: It's 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 devastating and uh, crippling. It, it's anxiety, stress, nightmares. You know the 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 on edge, the nervousness, the tics, whatever. You know each individual's a little different. Um, but I've always looked at this narrative, and you know I know a lot of people, um talk about the trials. And, oh, well, like why did it happen? You know, or they're trying to find a reason or they're like, oh, well, you know, the, these people were just outliers and you know, whatever else. But I look at Abigail Williams more specifically who lived up in Maine, uh, just like uh, Reverend Burroughs and Mercy Lewis and bore witness to the death of her whole family. And then she's forced to live with a, probably a strange relative. Um, and she now has a, younger cousin uh probably somewhat in her charge uh and she's probably very protective of her and daily they have to spend uh their hours listening to reverend paris's sermons about hell salvation repent the devil uh it, she's cold tired hungry scared
1: and they're teenagers like what like, is nine and eleven like, what does yeah. pts do to a child it's
0: cripple it's de- it changes it, i can't even it changes who you are and and they're like, well, why were they acting? Why were they having fits? And you're like, Do you really, do you really need to ask that question? And I think if anyone doesn't understand the answer to that question, then you've <laughs> And
1: we're not chalking this whole thing up to PTSD. Like that's not that's not what we're saying. But was but it a girl. contributing factor? Yeah.
0: And then of course the community, instead of trying to help these people, which, you know, today we know much more about, like mental health, right? Help people, be kind, listen when they're crying, when they're hurt, uh, you know, be that person that they can come and talk to. Uh, They didn't have any of that because, again, this religious extremism, this narrative, the fear that ruled the day, and, and we can very easily, in my mind, see the behavior of these young women and then how they acted and how the community responded, which then equals deaths of innocent people but living with and we've talked about this uh, several times throughout this episode living with the fear of the indigenous people it, it is like ptsd is is one thing um continued that that continued fear it's not like she,
1: it could happen any day
0: she, yeah she wasn't taken out of this situation it's not like the war was over it's not like she was somewhere safe
1: She was just somewhere else. Yeah. The war was still going on. And speaking of those indigenous wars, this is where the accusers pull a lot of their supernatural accusations from. So we mentioned it a little bit earlier in his supernatural strength, but this is where we really like see where those, those stories are pulled from is his role during these frontier conflicts. His formal trial will start on August 5th, and we're just going to talk a little bit about some of the accusations that are thrown his way. Samuel Weber testifies that Burroughs had once picked up a whole barrel of molasses with just two fingers
0: and carried it around. So I I believe uh, the the article I read about that was uh, from the bunghole.
1: Yeah, no, yeah. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) It says bung. It just says bung, and I, like, I deduce that it's bung hole, which is funny because we have the bung hole liquor store.
0: that's the the hole in in the barrel. So just, like, imagine, and this, oftentimes I say this, and people are like, oh, he lifted up a barrel. Like, who cares? It was probably several hundred pounds. Um, It was known to, uh, some of the barrels were listed as molasses, which is incredibly dense, incredibly heavy. So he's just two fingers. Lifting this up, and he's not, it's, he's carrying it. And I think at one point I saw, like, from a canoe through the difficult lands. Uh-huh. Or, so it's not just like, oh, I'm picking it up and walking it down the street. He's, like, out of the canoe, in the water, like, several hundred pounds, one-arming this thing.
1: Either he's got some really strong forearms, or, or he's, he's a
0: witch. He's a witch. <laughs> and and this ties back into, uh, well, he was an athlete at harford he's been known to be sort of a physical stocky man so you know what we've all uh, tried to successfully or or unsuccessfully uh take all the groceries out of the car uh <laughs> at one right and you're like loading your arms up and you're like i've got this and you're like coming in the door and i I don't know, you know, we weren't there. But that's sort of what I picture. He's like, I I got this, I can do this. And he might have been struggling. And he's like, yeah, man, he just did it with like one hand.
1: It's funny, something that people would have looked at and been like, damn, he is now
0: being targeted for. Well, that's the difference between 1691 and 1692, is that, and especially in, in Burroughs' situation, these stories are not coming up for the first time in the trial. These people aren't, they're turning... I don't know what you'd call it, um, a tall tale, right? You know, Paul Bunyan esque story. So they're turning a tall tale into an accusation. So in 1691, they're like, oh yeah, Burroughs, he's got this strength. He unloaded this car, this molasses, and he fired this rifle, which we'll get into in a second. But those are fine. And now, now it becomes something much more witch like,
1: vindictive, Yeah. evil, yeah. even. Yeah.
0: That rifle also is another one of my favorites.
1: So so that, what you're referring to, it's Thomas Greenslit. He will not only corroborate this claim of the barrel and the molasses, so you know you've got multiple people giving the same testimony, but he also claims that he saw Burroughs hold a gun with a six-foot barrel by just his forefinger.
0: So that could be holding it out straight and like, pinching it with his two fingers. That's a thing you could do. I suppose he could hold it with the barrel with the with the end facing himself.
1: Jeffrey and I have d- disagreed on the interpretation <laughs> of
0: this. Which is a very stupid thing to do, to have the barrel facing This yourself.
1: whole thing is stupid.
0: Or he could have just had his finger in, in the trigger hold and, and been holding that and then been able to fire, which still would have taken a significant amount. All of these things would have taken a significant amount of strength. And... Sarah pointed out something uh, a little while ago wherein which she's like, do you think they could have just been goofing around?
1: Yeah, that's what I think because what I read, what it read like was he picked up the barrel with his finger. Like he he I'm pretty sure it said that he put his finger in through the barrel. He held the gun by the barrel, he balanced it on his finger. So if you can imagine putting your arm out and having a six foot gun balancing on your forefinger, Obviously, that's impossible, but my thought was, oh, guys, look what I can do. Like, (laughs) the war is raging outside the fort, and it's like just trying to pass time. I don't know.
0: You you, you don't really have any idea how accurate that might be. See? Um. There you go. (laughs) Uh (laughs) <laughs> what
1: can I do with this? <laughs> yeah, I, ge- I genuinely think, like, it's such a bizarre thing, right? And, yeah. like, the molasses thing, too. Like, I could just imagine someone being like, you can't pick that up. like, oh, I bet, I, bet can. I can. And he picks it up, and then, boom, you have yeah. this legend.
0: And uh, these are things that are then actively used against him in in the court of warrior and Terminator. And to be fair, they, they might be, I mean, they're not the only two, uh, but they are, like the two, and there's all these other spectral ideas and attacks, which are fairly common amongst everyone.
1: I see kind of like a a categorical setup here in his accusations. You've got the people that are targeting his supernatural, quote, supernatural strength. You also have the folks that are talking about his wives who had died and his questionable relationships with them for example hannah harris she claimed to have been working in the household and whenever he went out if his wife said anything poor of him spoke ill of him he would come back and claim to have known what she had said
0: Maybe that's some level of psychic, cognitive, the devil's, or a familiar. Maybe a familiar is listening in the conversation and coming and reporting back to him.
1: She'll also claim that his wife became ill after an argument to the point where she feared death. And then Mm -hmm. you also have the young girls who are experiencing his specter. So you've got like these three different groups of people kind of coming at him. And these are the bulk of the accusations.
0: And of course, those young women's narrative is stemming uh, from Mercy Lewis and the Putnams.
1: Let's read one of them, shall we? Okay. Yeah. So how about the deposition of Ann Putnam Jr.?
0: We know Ann. Yeah, she's accused loads of everyone uh let's see where she start basically the evening i saw the apparition of mr george burroughs who grievously tortured me and urged me to write in his book which i I,
1: that's the 5th of may this is the day after he is arrested or brought to salem
0: so she sees all this
1: The day after she... Of course, because now
0: they know that he's here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so now I'm sure Mercy Lewis is all like, oh, hey, this is the guy, da, da, da. Yep, so
1: this is, so she's saying May 5th she sees this apparition.
0: He told me that his two first wives would appear to me presently and tell me a great many lies, but I should not believe them. Then immediately appear to me the form of two women in winding sheets and napkins around their heads at which I was greatly uh, frightened, and they turned their face towards Mr. Burroughs and looked at him very red and angry and told him that he had been a cruel man to them and that their blood did cry for vengeance against him.
1: And also, what?
0: Yeah. I was, Ooh.
1: I kind of love it. <laughs> and also told him that they should be clothed with white robes in heaven when he should be cast into hell. And immediately he vanished away. And as soon as he was gone, the two women turned their faces towards me and looked as pale as white wall and told me that they were Mr. Burroughs' two first wives and that he had murdered them. And one told me that she was his first wife and he stabbed her under the left arm and put a piece of sealing wax on the wound and she pulled aside the winding sheet and showed me the place.
0: Maybe uh, maybe that's what Richard Crownshield should have done to, to Captain
1: I know, right? Awesome. Give it, give yeah. me some like Captain White.
0: Yeah. If you just brought sealing wax in there and sealed up the wound, it, they would
1: have never known. Yeah, it would have
0: been fine. <laughs> 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 but this is the imagination. I mean, like, this is wild. And like, I i know they're kids, but like, this is crazy. And then some of the other ones. Uh, do we want it real quick? Yeah. Uh, the, the, um, Ooh, Mercy
1: Lewis. So there is this idea, and we haven't even touched on it yet. Because Burroughs is a practicing minister, they very much focus on this idea of him overseeing a dark version of this religion. So he is on many occasions referred to as basically the leader of the witches yeah, and he is leading these dark ceremonies the gatherings of all the witches he is there sitting at the the front
0: the black masses the 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 spectral he's the the leader and the idea here is that he had been or was doing this because that's what he'd done for god so like he was that figurehead and Which
1: it makes sense to them, right? Like in yeah, their heads, they, they what else are they supposed to create this story with? They, they know their own practices. They know how Puritanism works. Of course, if you just kind of turn it upside down, you just make the antithesis of their practices. Right. It's going to translate very well. this is well. really
0: great. I'm going to piss you off here um, because uh, you can't even get witches because men are still in charge.
1: Yeah. No. Isn't that? Yeah. Yeah. Love it. No. I. I wasn't even going to bring it up, <laughs> but I do bring it up on tour a yeah, lot. Yeah. Is this idea that seventy-five percent of those executed are women?
0: But men are. But Reverend Burroughs is still the leader.
1: Is still the leader. Sorry. I mean, are we surprised?
0: I. I think yeah. Like.
1: No. 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 But at the same
0: time. It is very strange to look at the historical narrative of the witch and as this female of this magic of this power, how men hate that da, 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 and then realize that at the at least here in Salem, at the core of it, the, <laughs> the, the, the power dynamic still hasn't changed.
1: What I think is interesting is you look at the course of the accused, you have the outsiders, you have Bridget Bishop, then you move on. It's like they need to keep upping the ante. Then they start reaching out to people that are well known in the community, right. that are revered in the community, like Rebecca Nurse. Like, why on earth was she accused? It doesn't make sense. Then they have to up it more. And then you you reach out to someone who is practicing within the scope of the church. I mean, you're going beyond general membership, and yes, even though he did have disagreements with Salem Village, he's still a Harvard guy. Like, he still has a bit of cred to his name. The idea of him even being accused of witchcraft is astounding. As you said, he was planning on going down and sorting it all out.
0: The only minister. Um, did you say Mary Lewis? Mercy Lewis. Mercy Lewis. Sorry, sorry. I think hers is one of those... Uh, testimonies that really highlights that. Do you want to go or do you want, do you want me to come? I'll go. I'll okay. go. Okay. Okay. This one's fun. Yeah, yeah.
1: So plays into his whole gathering of the witches.
0: And the two wives as well.
1: And the two wives. Mr. Burroughs carried me up to an exceedingly high mountain and showed me all the kingdoms of the earth and told me that he would give them all to me if I would write in his book. And if I would not. He would throw me down and break my neck, but I told him they were none of his to give, and I would not write if he throwed me down on a hundred pitchforks.
0: Damn poetry, right? Like some of this is is, is <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, it's some good stuff. And again, it's sh- these are kids, right? Where? But, but but they're
1: kids. They're kids that have been given attention. And they are well versed in it at this point. This is August. These 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 formal testimonies are coming in at the beginning of August, in preparation of his trial. These girls know what they're doing at this point.
0: Mm -hmm. So, does that sort of round out the trial? I mean, other than reading. Oh, we
1: did not mention wizard. Let's do one more, Elizabeth. Let's do one more. Uh, we'll see a bunch of names pop up in accusations. Burroughs, I think it counted like 16 people will file testimonies against him.
0: I think I thought it was more than that.
1: I think it could be more. I mean, I just like counted very quickly based on my notes, but I think it could be anywhere as much as 20. So 16 to 20. I
0: think I had seen somewhere that it was like 30.
1: I mean, we don't have all the records either. Well, so
0: there's that. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: But we've got, of course, Mercy Lewis, Ann Putnam, Hannah Harris, Mary Weber, Susanna Sheldon, Benjamin Hutchinson, Abigail Hobbs. Do you want to mention Elizabeth
0: Hubbard? So I, I, I think, are you getting at the dreadful wizard? Yes. So, so here's something that's a little weird. Um, I believe in my heart that George Burroughs is a dreadful wizard and that he has often tormented me and that also the above-named persons in his acts of witchcraft, right? Also said by Mary Warren, Walcott, and Biber. Almost word for word. Which is a little strange that uh, Thomas Putnam signs off on all those as well.
1: Yeah, you see some uh, redundancy, <laughs> might I say, in some of these, these documents. Yeah, yeah. But it's, also just the idea of using the word wizard. I don't think yeah, we've heard no, that mentioned yet. Magic. I don't know. <laughs> Uncommon, I guess it speaks yeah. to his, you know, stature. Uh, status.
0: You are no more wizard than I am a witch.
1: Yes, a Sarah Good.
0: Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So we have heard it.
1: Yeah. Well, we didn't talk about it on the podcast. No, no, though. no.
0: We didn't. Sorry, we haven't talked really about Sarah Good. That's okay. That's next year. It's <laughs> gonna give him that I, big little teaser, yeah, right? Okay, we'll just leave it. That's fine. Um. Well, you said you hadn't, and I was like, no, 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 we've definitely... No,
1: I know we have. Yeah. <laughs> they haven't. I know. I, I'm sorry.
0: Um, but I, I, when I first read that, I was like, oh, that's cool. And I was like, wait, that was like in like four or five people's depositions. And then Thomas Putnam's like, oh, yes, all these people said this exact same thing. And you're like, how... how st- oh,
1: did they really? <laughs> how
0: stupid do you think we are, sir? I mean, clearly they were pretty stupid. But...
1: One last one that I want to talk about... And this is coming from Mary Warren. And now she is an interesting character because she was to start one of the accusing girls, but she breaks from them. I don't, it, it might be just because she's feeling bad. Maybe she's feeling the pressure. She doesn't want to partake in it anymore. Maybe she actually has a moral compass. She leaves a note on the meeting house door and basically confesses to lying and says the other girls are lying. Of course, what do the girls do?
0: Turn on her.
1: They turn on her, and she will be put in jail, I think, within a week um, as an accused witch. She will get out, of course, because she rescinds that uh, statement, and she will then be pointing the finger at people pretty much through the entirety of the trial. So, of course, she does not. She's gotten a taste of jail. She does not want to be on the wrong side of this. I say the wrong side, but technically... There are no... It's like, you know what I mean. She's trying to save her own skin. Mary Warren testifieth that when she was in prison in Salem about a fortnight ago, Mr. George Burroughs, Goody Nurse, Goody Proctor... Goody Parker, Goody Pootiator, Abigail Psalms, Goodman Proctor, Goody Darling, and others unknown came to this defendant, and Mr. Burroughs had a trumpet and sounded it. And they would have had this defendant gone up with them to feast at Mr. Paris's. And Goody Nurse and Goody Proctor told her that they were deacons, and would have had her eat some of their sweet bread and wine. And she asking them what wine one of them said it was blood and better than our wine but this defendant refused to eat or drink them and they then dreadfully afflicted her at the time she will also go on to say that she was pinched and reverend burroughs choked her to the or at least his specter choked her to the point of almost death so again going back to these meetings of witches this dark mass and according to her statement sounds like they were doing it right under the nose of samuel paris
0: out in the field behind his house or wherever it was supposed to be
1: a mockery of the established church
0: so that rounds out just about most of the accusations he's uh found guilty in early august But I wanted to just real quickly mention something that happens on August 4th, and that is they get some news. Uh, Obviously, they don't have internet and worldwide news and database. If something happens in Australia, we know about it as soon as it happens. Um, On June 7th, so it's taken June, July, August, two months for this news to reach Massachusetts, that there has been a massive earthquake down the Caribbean, Uh, Jamaica has been hit devastatingly hard. There is a massive tidal wave uh, that takes out all of Kingston, uh, Jamaica, and kills nearly 2,000 people. While it is not Puritan New England, uh, there are still Englishmen who have settlements and homes down there. They are tied to there economically. And in their minds, the day before they try, the leader of this cult of witches, they get the news that this devastating uh, uh, tragedy has been fought, and that is, to them, a direct correlation, which is weird.
1: And, I, and I'm going to add on a little bit to that as well, which we are not going to be talking about Martha Carrier maybe next year, yeah. but she is referred to as, quote, the Queen of Hell, and Reverend Burroughs, the king of hell. Now, a lot of these terms, these phrases, they're really coming from Cotton Mather after mm-hmm. the fact, but it kind of gives you a sense of just how people viewed them. And for us, we're like, oh my gosh, a travesty. But for them, this is an act of God, if not,
0: well, the, devil. the act
1: of, yeah, an act of the devil.
0: that that has befallen this community because... And so they see it more as we're doing the right thing, right? If the devil's fighting back in this manner, then we must have the right guy, and that adds to the narrative as well. And it just
1: gives them more reason to push forward.
0: So he uh, is found guilty in early August, uh, likely probably August 5th or 6th, in that time frame, uh, and sentenced to be hanged on August 19th. Um, So on that day... They are brought up to Proctor's Ledge, the same size as Bridget Bishop, and the five on July 19th, and now five more on August 19th. They are put on small step stools, ropes around their neck, and it's at this point that uh, Reverend Burroughs makes his famous speech, I guess would be the best way to, to say that, and um, So he declares his innocence in in some manner or other, and I don't think we're exactly sure of that, uh, but he concludes that with uh, the Lord's Prayer. And according to pretty much everything and everyone, a witch would not be able to say the words of God.
1: The devil would not allow you to. Like, you could genuinely not speak it. I believe it is John Proctor, and I could be wrong on this, one of the reasons that he is found guilty is because he says "hallowed be thy name" rather than "hallowed be thy name." Mm-hmm. But like could- just that, that, that just mess up of the phrase would be enough to prove that you are a witch.
0: Yeah, and it could be anything—a a cough, a hiccup, a pause, uh, and anything. But he gets it out, and. Again, given his charisma, given his personality, probably in his best minister voice, he declares these intentions. Um, and then it's Cotton Mather, who, by the way, has decided to show up in Salem. Um, this is the first execution he's attended. Uh, and, of course, there's good reason for that. We've kind of mentioned him once or twice in the in this uh, episode. He hates Reverend Burroughs.
1: He's also a Harvard man. Yeah. In fact, his father, Increase Mather, is actually president of Harvard University during these witch trials. And, so,
0: And Increase was at the trial of Reverend Burroughs.
1: I'm not surprised.
0: Sorry, 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 sorry. No. Increase is at the execution. Is he? It's one of them. I was going to say, Cotton's at the execution
1: for Cotton's sure. At the execu- In- Cotton's- Incre- increase was very... Um, uh, he was not a big fan of the spectral evidence. No, so, if wasn't. anything,
0: it, it might have been the execution. And I, I'd seen this ages ago, and it's like, oh, Dad came, so it's like I guess he kind of had to go, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, but nonetheless, get up there,
1: Cotton. Right. Say a couple words. No, right? he does. No, I. That, I know. I'm, i know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: and and that's that's the point, and and that's where we get Cotton Mather's sort of big introduction into the trials is he sort of tells everyone not to listen. That, that it doesn't matter what he says, uh, that the devil can, can speak lies, and that this man was tried in a court of law, found guilty of being a witch, and uh, the words that he says as a witch could deceive you, and, and you don't really know what's going on.
1: And Burroughs was the first to be executed. Um, it seems like the crowd did get pretty agitated during his, his execution. It's said that they try to intervene, but they proceeded with the rest of them. Yeah, It is Cotton Mather and the other authorities that kind of calm the crowd down. And
0: he also, Mather, sorry, sorry, also says that uh, he's no ordained minister. Yes. So he kind of like gets things like, oh, he's been, he's been paltry. He's been lying. Like he hasn't done the things that, you know, I've done. He doesn't, he doesn't say that, but that's like the narrative that he's, he's pushing out there and that, and of Definitely.
1: course he is an ordained minister he so he knows Right.
0: He's like I'm caught ma- I am an ordained he's not. He he's been tried and found guilty. It doesn't matter what he says. Mm-hmm. It matters uh what what I say. And it it does kind of appease them. So this is the
1: only execution that we have a I don't know full-fledged description of and it is from Robert Califf, Mm -hmm. I don't think we've mentioned him at all on the podcast, he was a Bostonian merchant, and some historians say take his interpretation with a grain of salt, because he was very anti-Puritan, but he was very interested in what was happening here in Salem, so he was up here for some of the trials, he was at Reverend Burroughs' execution, and he will go on to write a book in 1700 about the trials and it is actually a direct response to cotton mather's book
0: which which, i'm holding
1: which (laughs) yes jeff is holding a copy of a very pretty copy of um so cotton writes this book wonders of the invisible world where he talks about what happens here and cotton let's be honest is kind of the mouthpiece of the judges they literally charge him to write this like they they put him in charge of writing this book after the fact to kind of defend what has happened here. Robert Califf decides to come out with this book called More
0: Wonders (laughs) of the Invisible World. Such a great title.
1: So witty. It's like a big F you to Cotton Mather. And it's in this book that we get a full description of the execution. Mr. Burroughs was carried in a cart with the others. Through the streets of Salem to execution. When he was upon the ladder, he made a speech for the clearing of his innocency, and such solemn and serious expressions as were to the admiration of all present. His prayer, which he concluded by repeating the Lord's Prayer, was so well worded and uttered with such composedness as such fervency of spirit as was very affecting and drew tears from many so that it seemed to some that the spectators would hinder the execution. The accusers said the black man, the devil, stood and dictated to him. As soon as he was turned off, or hanged, Mr. Cotton Mather, being mounted upon a horse, addressed himself to the people, partly to declare that he, Mr. Burroughs, was no ordained minister, partly to possess the people of his guilt, saying that the devil often had been transformed into the angel of light. And this did somewhat appease the people, and the executions went on. When he, Mr. Burroughs, was cut down, he was dragged by a halter to a hole or grave between the rocks, about two feet deep, his shirt and breeches being pulled off, and an old pair of trousers of one executed put on his lower parts. He was so put in together with Willard and carrier that one of his hands and his chin and a foot of one of them was left uncovered. Damn heavy.
0: Yeah. It's, it's a great visual. It's a great picture. It's, it's a great description. Um, And uh, I think it's, it's really neat. And it's, it's that address of, of, of Cotton that I think is really important because that's where we understand sort of how this whole thing is viewed. You're like, the devil can just do whatever. And it's like, oh, the devil, uh, you, uh, a witch can't say the words of God. And then Cotton Mather, head of the Church of Boston, comes in and goes, oh, yeah, well, actually, he can because I've now moved the goalposts. Um, but like we've said a few times, uh, Mather hates burrows. And uh, I'm going to take this opportunity to provide some evidence for that.
1: Yeah, give us some of Cotton's thoughts.
0: So first off, you you described uh, uh, Reverend Burroughs earlier, that, that, that physical description of him. Uh-huh. Now, uh, Somewhat
1: with. a fan with the ladies. Yeah, yeah.
0: So this other minister from Harvard, who might not have been as big a fan with the ladies, who might not have been as fit, who might not have been as charismatic, uh, he writes- He was a very puny man. (laughs) Um, uh, He does say, and his only strength was supernatural. Uh, uh, Oh my gosh,
1: we should put that on a t-shirt. He's a very puny man. No, his only strength is supernatural.
0: Um, So the book that I'm holding is, is The Wonders... Uh, Of the invisible world, you know what? Screw it. The wonders of the invisible world, as well as historical and theological upon the nature, the number, and the operations of the devils, by Cotton Mather, published in 1693. You know what's
1: funny is that that is not the full title, and it keeps going. And I used to include the full title. No, no, no. On some of my papers to make the footnotes longer (laughs) to increase my page count. Only on, like, the first footnote, though. Only on the first one. Oh, I I love that so much. And then you abbreviate after that. Yeah,
0: that's fantastic. Um, So within uh, The Wonders of the Invisible World, he does uh, document many of the individual's uh, trials and testimonies within the scope of the trials. But it's within the trial of GB, also George Burroughs. Um, And and I think this really highlights the disdain that Mather had. The jealousy. I was
1: going to say, it. Sound, he sounds kind of jealous. He sounds
0: a little, a little, a little, little pick-me over there. A little jealous.
1: Puny man. Mm-hmm.
0: Glad should I have been if I had never known the name of this man or never had the occasion to mention him so much as the first letters of his name. But the government required some account of the trial to be inserted in this book. And uh, then it goes on, the first line, it says, This GB was indicted for witchcraft and in the prosecution of the charge against him. He was accused by five or six of the bewitched and uh, the author of their miseries. He was accused by eight of the confessing witches as being a head or actor of some of their hellish rendezvous. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good one. Hellish rendezvous. Um And one who had the promise of being a king in Satan's kingdom, now going to be erected, he was accused by nine persons for extraordinary lifting. And such feats of strength could not be done without diabolical assistance. Also, capitalization in this is weird.
1: Is he just trying to add emphasis? I don't.
0: Extraordinary lifting. Only lifting is capitalized.
1: I thought extraordinary would have been. No.
0: Feats of strength is, and so is diabolical assistance.
1: Mm. Emphasis,
0: and for other such things he was accused, until about 30 testimonies were brought in against him, nor were these judged the half of what might have been considered. For his conviction, however, they were enough to fix the character of a witch upon him, according to the rules of reasoning by the judicious... G-A-U-L-E. Goal? The judicious goal? Well, we'll have to figure that one out and get back to you. But that's that's how his little essay on uh, GB starts, and you can really sort of feel the disdain he has uh, for the man.
1: Won't even write his name. His name isn't even allowed to be in the book. Talk about dramatic. Also, may I, I forgot to add this in. When oh. we were reading those testimonies and everyone's talking about George Burroughs wanted me to sign this book. He kept on getting me to sign. He wanted me to sign this book, sign this book, sign this yeah. book. I couldn't stop thinking about all those like petition people that you walk by on the street, and they're just like, sign this, sign this, sign this. <laughs> that was in my head.
0: That's what he was doing. He was in the spectral form, he was going around. He was he was standing outside the uh, the grocery store getting me.
1: <laughs> oh, my God. You need to dress up as devils and get a book and-
0: Maybe in October. I'll sign the devil's book. Yes. Give us your soul. We will promise you wealth and riches. <laughs> I love I that. like it. Yes. Or just a podcast sticker.
1: Ah, nice. <laughs> in your reading from Cotton Mather, eight, I think he said eight of the accused witches will point the finger at him. So he will actually still be receiving accusations even yeah. after his death he still talked about he is still being pointed to as the leader of the witches and he is
0: it, he is the king of hell right which which i absolutely love and i think cotton Mather comes up with those two terms which you mentioned before but i really think uh as, as he said in the wonders of the invisible world he will have that seat and there's also, he talks at one point about crowns and he's, he's this white crown, which I've seen somewhere being like a crown of bone. Um, and like these allegories, you're
1: like, Oh, yeah, right. let me in <laughs> on that, right? <laughs>
0: and you're like, That's and it's very strange to me that, well, maybe not as I reason it out in my head real quick. They use these tropes of like as they are, um, uh. Wealth and prosperity, right? So now he has this crown. Now he's this wealth. Now he's taken this sin, and it's not just a crown, but it's this—it's this devilish thing, and it they just adds to it. And you're like, man, if you guys just could have like written some cool fantasy novels <laughs> instead,
1: <laughs> instead <laughs> of like don't direct your energy at persecuting people. Yeah, but that's that's the whole thing, right? It's like the other. It's the it's something to compare themselves <gasps> with.
0: Like, yeah they're so creative you, you need something. Puritans are so creative
1: they're create but but
0: in in like the worst way
1: they have no other creative outlet no. so like where do you where you're do you're like you... you're
0: like no religious iconography in your bearing we talked about this right no they come up with these wonderful drawings these skulls and these wings and these mastheads and and the the one you saw in um Boston the other day the the skeleton like
1: oh yeah just chilling just chilling yeah I, I stumbled on a bunch of fun yeah. headstones over in uh, King's Chapel
0: but it's like there's clearly the, what these girls are thinking what they're coming up with the ideas that Reverend uh, that uh, Cotton Mather you're like man you guys are some creative people stop killing each other so I think just to round things out uh, he is executed on August 19th along with those four others Um, and it's then not for another 19 years, uh, that he actually, uh, gets exonerated. He did have several kids. And when that petition, which we've mentioned before, is brought, uh, before the crown, uh, his family gets awarded 50 pounds and he is granted.
1: I'm just going to say 50 pounds is more than Mary Esty and Rebecca Nurse combined. Just saying.
0: I... I have not done any research into the whys of that, have you? I, I haven't,
1: but my guess is it has something to do with, like, status and also, like, what that family is missing out on okay. with that person being, right, like, so he's technically the breadwinner of the family. Right, so
0: without him. Right. And, and then how much were they missing out on? Yeah, um, and
1: I'll be honest, I'm. I, of course, I do, I wouldn't be surprised if all the men just
0: got more money. I think also, and I could, I don't have a source for this at all, so excuse me, what they owed or what they had paid.
1: Oh, like towards their, their jail yeah, yeah, bills? Yeah. Yes.
0: Could also have something to do with it. Yeah. And Burroughs was in jail for a significant amount of time. Right. Um, You know, compared to, he was arrested the same day as um Richard Bishop. No, sorry, that's Charles Corey. My apologies. Um, May... June, July—only three months. Okay, never mind. Maybe I'm wrong on that.
1: I'm not sure. We'll we'll look yeah, into that and see like, like a, what what made the queen decide who decides. You know, yeah, who gets what, who gets what. But just like Rebecca Nurse's family, George Burroughs's family is very concerned about clearing his name. Obviously, he's a he's a minister, um, and he was well revered in his position at the time up in wells like he's just going about his business so of course they're going to be like absolutely not this is unacceptable he is of course not a witch what do we have to do to make this right and they will just like rebecca nurse's family petition to get him exonerated and as we had said in our bridget bishop episode unfortunately not Every victim will have that same, will be granted um, those same reparations. You had to be, you'd have to have the means and the motivation to pursue them.
0: And someone to speak for you.
1: Yes. Do you have any fun tidbits to share? Now, one little thing. One little thing. One little thing. Okay. I was trying to find things that were still tied to burrows in modern day.
0: Actually, I do have something. I'll, I'll, I'll share. I'll share. I'll share something cool.
1: Cool. See, we always got things. Okay. History. So there is in the southern part of Maine, a place like a very small stretch of road called Witch Trot Road. I don't think we talked too much about his travel down from Wells to Salem with the constables. Yeah, but,
0: you you'd kind of told me not to.
1: Yeah, I wanted to keep it a little, a little quiet <laughs> towards the end because it, ha- it ties into this witch-trot road situation. Okay. So supposedly when they go to arrest him, he does not resist, as we said. They don't put him in a cart, throw him on horseback, and he suggests that they take a shorter, more wooded route.
0: Okay. And it like, is like to grandma's house? Like what exactly.
1: Was it um down the river and through the roads? Yeah, yeah. To grandmother's house we go. Yes. That stretch of road in modern day is called Witch Trot Road because that is supposedly okay. where he was brought. And part of the legend has to do with your little fun detail.
0: Yeah, so there's like like some modern lore. That supposedly, like as they're wandering down, they get hit with this huge storm and there's thunder and lightning and trees are being ripped up. And, you know, that, of course, in these guys' mind, again, remember storms. We're talking about that storm in Jamaica. That's a thing when Ann Putnam Jr. and Abigail Hobbs are are first suffering their afflictions. There's this huge storm when uh, um, Sarah Good and Sarah Osborne are arrested. So storms and the weather play a role. Um, but supposedly they're coming down this, and there's this huge storm, and they're the horses are jumpy and scary. But the storm and they're passed. in the middle of the wilderness. Yeah, they're in the middle of and w- coming from Maine, like hmm.
1: with a with an accused witch. Yeah, they're
0: they're dead. The king of hell. They're dead. Like let's be honest, they probably they were like we're fucking dead. If only. Yeah, and they, who knows? Um, but the storm passes, and he hadn't managed to escape. So they kind of they're like we have one upped the dead. We we've we've maintained our hold on the witch. Yeah.
1: Oh, yes, that is the legend of Witch Trot Road. I get it. Whether there was a storm or not, uh, one of our favorite historians on the trials, Marilyn K. Roach, which we have mentioned before, she claims that there is no evidence for, no records of this storm and the constable's journey being affected by it. But, hey, I'm not going to rule it out.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: What do you have?
0: Just, so he's labeled as the king of hell, right? Uh-huh. Which is kind of neat uh, because... Which obviously we know that not to really be true, Uh right? He's not like ruling hell or anything like that. But he did have very royal lineage. He's a direct descendant of Henry III, William the Conqueror, Robert I of France, Alfred the Great, Charlemagne. I mean, that's cool. Several others. Uh, His greater family tree includes like Jane Seymour, Anne Boleyn, Queen Elizabeth. Oh, shit. Yeah, yeah. So he's got like, like you look back at like who he's descended. But of course, yeah. But
1: then they killed Mary Dyer, right. who was a.
0: But like, like one. It's just. I know of, it's of a, all yeah. the people who had who like descended from William the Conqueror and Henry the 8th You're like, it now ends up being the king of hell. Yeah. Um, you know, because, of course, you know, the second son of a second son, and you're now no longer anywhere near the throne, and that goes not on another generation. You're still a direct descendant, but you're not in that. Not act. in that
1: kind of way. Yeah,
0: yeah. So he was not not like great second cousin, like 12th great grandson of of these very uh, important historical figures, which is, so maybe maybe he is the king of something something (laughs) right who knows
1: that's very cool
0: but there we go
1: side tidbit yeah interesting it didn't save him no
0: (laughs) right (laughs) sorry but that i believe brings us to an end
1: yes it does so
0: thanks for listening
1: see you later